We turn to the word of God as it's found in the book of Isaiah and chapter 40 for our first reading, reading from verse 21 to the end of the chapter. It's page 725, 725 in the church Bibles. And we hear what the Lord, our God, spoke through his prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness." Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And then for our second reading we go right back to the very beginning of our Bibles and to the first book and the first chapter and the very first verse. Genesis chapter 1 from verse 1 and just reading five verses. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. We are looking together for a number of Sunday mornings at the theme of foundations. What are the foundations of human life? Upon what foundations are you building for time and for eternity? What are the only secure and firm foundations for this world and for all the people in it? Well, on two Sunday mornings, we've looked recently at why it is we need to be thinking about foundations. We looked, first of all, three weeks ago at Isaiah chapter 3, you may remember. And we saw the state of the society in the time of that prophet Isaiah. What did we see then? We saw that there was a great crisis of government with all the leading men removed from that society, that the generations were at war with each other, with the children, the youth being insolent to their elders. And we saw that there was confusion over the subject of gender, as we would call it today, over male and female, with the women dominating over the men, And we ask then, does history repeat itself? And I think we all saw that it does. And then after that, we looked the following Sunday at the second chapter of Judges, the book of Judges. And we saw there that a new generation arose after the death of Joshua, who neither knew the Lord nor the work that he had done for Israel. And we saw the terrible collapse in society which followed. We saw how the book of Judges ends with those words of great lamentation. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did as he saw fit. And we contrasted that, you remember, with Timothy, young Timothy in the New Testament, who had known the scriptures from his childhood, had been taught by those who knew God. And we applied it again to our own society. A society today, in 2019, that is so knowledgeable, so technologically advanced, so competent in so many amazing ways, but experiencing a great famine of hearing the words of the Lord. How do you know if a building is resting on insecure foundations? Well, builders, architects, engineers will know far more than me about this. But you see cracks appearing, don't you? 
you see large cracks opening up in buildings as the foundations begin to subside, the building begins to shift, it starts to crumble, it starts to fall. We live in a time when the foundations need to be restructured, re-examined. We need to know what the good and best foundations of everything are. And the only way we can do that is to go back to the Word of God and to go back this morning to the very beginning and the very first verse in the Bible. And all I want to do this morning, really, is to think about the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. And really go little further than that this morning. What do we see as we look at these four words? The first thing we notice is this. God is before all things. And when I say before, I mean in the most natural sense, in terms of time. Before all other things, God was. At the beginning of time, God was. Before anything happened in human history, God, the Lord, was. Before even time existed as something that we experience as creatures, if that makes any sense to any of us here, and it's hard to understand a world without time, but before there was even time and the passing of time, the eternal God was. And the statement here is simple and unadorned. It's clear. In the beginning, there's no date. There's no number of years. It's not the fourth day of the seventh month of the 18th year of the reign of king such and such. There were no kings in those days apart from the supreme sovereign ruler and king of kings himself, almighty God. There is no time scale. In the mid-17th century, James Usher, Archbishop of Armagh, did some calculations and he worked out, using his Bible, that creation, the creation, was completed at 6 p.m. on October the 22nd, 4004 B.C. I don't think we can be as precise as that. Mind you, let's not mock a man like Archbishop Usher. He was a man of God. He was a profound scholar a shrewd politician, he was doing his best to serve God with all the light that he had. But this is my point. We don't need a time scale. We don't need a date, whatever that date may be. Why not? The Bible doesn't give us one. In the beginning, in the beginning is all that we need. And when we think about those words in the beginning, what, do we, what comes into our minds, perhaps? We see the great antiquity, the ancient character of our God. 
In Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, that great vision of Daniel, what does Daniel see? He sees one who is described as the Ancient of Days. It's God. It's God the Father that he sees, and he's described. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. This is a venerable picture. You know what I mean by venerable? Dignified with great age. Here is superlative wisdom. Here is infinite nobility. Something that Michelangelo tried to reproduce on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Rome. This, this, this image of God the Father as one of great age. The God who has all knowledge and understanding because in the beginning, before everything and everyone else, he was there. Our present monarch, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, has been on the throne of this country since February the 6th, 1952. I think about that and I feel quite overwhelmed. Long before I was born, she was queen. She's been there through the terms of at least 13 prime ministers, starting with Winston Churchill. If I met the queen, I would probably be completely tongue-tied with admiration and a sense of awe at the longevity of the reign of our monarch. I'm a royalist, as it probably shows. I love the royal family. But I don't really care much about that this morning. Whatever your view may be on these subjects, our God is far above every monarch, every ruler, every great name. He's not only the Ancient of Days, He is the eternal God. He is the eternal God. In the beginning, God. Psalm 90, verse 2, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And the same prophet Isaiah that we read from earlier, in chapter 57, verse 15, he refers to God as the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. This is our God. In the beginning, before all things. And then secondly, still staying really with these first four verses first four words of verse 1. God is above all things. The word for beginning here in Genesis 1 verse 1 can also be translated uh, chief or first. It's a bit like the Hebrew word for head, as in the one who is at the top and in charge and above all and over all. At the very head of things, above all things, the chief over all, the greatest of all that there can ever be, is this almighty God. It's not simply that God happened to be there first, 
before anybody or anything else showed up. God is before all things, not only in terms of time, but in terms of greatness, in terms of rank, of power, of glory, of all knowledge and wisdom and understanding. We're not thinking this morning so much yet about the subject of creation. We're not going on to even the word created until next week, God willing. But let me make this point. Everything else that there is or has ever been apart from God is created, is a creature, has a beginning, has been made by God. God alone is the uncreated creator. He owes nothing to anyone. He is dependent on no one. He is answerable to no one. He is the great I am. I am that I am, he says to Moses from the burning bush. He's the one of whom it says in Isaiah 45, and those Isaiah chapters in the 40s and 50s are so full of the majesty and the greatness of God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Our God is the supreme being above everything else, greater than all else. Nothing can be greater than him. There's nothing above him. There's nothing beyond him. There's nothing outside him. There's nothing and no one that our God does not know and understand perfectly. Now let me apply this. Sometimes, I don't know if you hear this, but I hear people saying things like this, Christian people saying this. I had a really deep conversation today with my friend. We had a really deep conversation. And you're inclined to ask, well, okay, what did you talk about then? Oh, it was really deep, really deep. Did you talk about God? Did you, did you talk about the Word of God? No, 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 we didn't talk about God, but we really went very deep. You won't understand. I'm, I'm talking, you may be gathering as, as, as a parent here a little bit, okay? This is something that I hear in lots of places, though. There is no subject matter that is too deep for the depths of God. There is no conversation or issue or question or point of debate or experience that is too high for the heights of God. There is nothing that lies outside God's great wisdom and capacity. No thought has ever occurred to your deep, complex mind that was not thought of in the beginning,
by the infinitely deeper, higher, wider, more amazing mind of our eternal God. If you're a Christian and you get into one of those conversations where people start saying, what's the meaning of life? Ever thought about that, they say? What's the meaning of life? What do you as a Christian say? Do you say, well, I don't know really. That's a deep question. Hmm. I've never thought about that. If you're a Christian, you know the answer. It's God. It's God, the author of life. It's God, the creator. We can't get away from him being a creator, I'm afraid, even with just these first four words. God, over all and above all. There is no, as yet, undiscovered meaning of life that anybody will ever find out that is above and beyond the God of the Bible. If you think there is something that lies outside the confines of the mind of God, your God is just far too small. He's not the God of the Bible. He's not the God from the beginning. And I say these things because we live in a time when people are raising all sorts of questions, aren't they? Which we'll come on to, God willing, over coming weeks if there is time. And we have to face up to these questions. What do we say? What should we say about, for example, the present environmental crisis? About the subject of feminism? About the subjects, the topical subject of abortion or euthanasia? About the subject of same sex marriage? and transgenderism, about the subjects of what is called race, about the subject of hate speech and political correctness, or about any whole host of other subjects. And let me put it to you like this. The vast majority of voices that are making statements about these subjects today in 2019 The vast majority of voices that post their thoughts on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or wherever it may be or in the newspapers or on the television, they are voices of those who either believe there is no God or that God is simply not very relevant and we can do without God and these things don't concern the Christian God, the God of the Bible. We don't need to think about God when we think about the environment. We need to listen to the scientists. What's God got to do with it? Same-sex marriage? Nothing to do with God or Christians. It's people's freedom. That's what's at stake. That's all that there is that matters. Well, this is where Christians have to be very brave and very right and very firm and build on the foundation which is the Word of God. The Word of God speaks authoritatively on every subject which it addresses. And it addresses every subject. They're not my words. They're the words of a great Christian scholar called Cornelius Van Til, much neglected in recent years. A great man. This is my point. Whatever you think about, friends, whatever 
rich tapestry your life might be, however varied and beautiful and intricate and complex your life might be, God is above it. God is over it. God has authority. God is not subject to any of the preconditions that the various experts around today in different fields might say that they have. No one and nothing, no argument, no fact, no principle is greater than God. For if they were, God would cease to be God. But he is God, true God. And in relation to this, I have one more point that needs to be made this morning before coming to a conclusion. Our God is therefore to be worshipped and glorified. What should we do then? As Francis Schaeffer, another great mind, would have said, how should we then think? What should we think? What should we do? when confronted with this God who is before all things and above all things? Well, here's the simplest and clearest answer of them all. We must recognize God's greatness. We must bow down and worship him and say, my God, how great you are. We must humble ourselves, mere little creatures as we all are, and call him God and call him Lord, and call him King. We might use the language, for example, of another prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, who says in chapter 10, verses 6 to 7, we could use the words of Nehemiah, of Isaiah, of Jeremiah, all these men whose ending of their names, Yah, is the name of the Lord. Jeremiah, there is none like you, O Lord, You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Oh, those are the words of a man who has come face to face with the greatness and the glory of God. And they're echoed in the New Testament in The book of Revelation in the song of Moses and the Lamb in Revelation 15. Where you hear a heavenly choir singing these words. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. What do you think when I speak to you this morning about the fear of the Lord? Do you say, you're out of, you're out of touch You're out of time. This is the 21st century, not the 19th. We don't dress like that woman in that picture in front of the railings anymore coming to church in black. 
the fear of the Lord isn't going to have any any kind of um, traction with this generation. The fear of the Lord is outdated. It's unpopular. Oh, come on, chill out. We don't want to talk about the fear of the Lord, do we? In our modern, vibrant, sophisticated culture, start with something else, won't you? Not the fear of the Lord. What do you think? The really important question is whether the fear of the Lord is a biblical concept. Whether it's something that the Word of God suggests that we need to inculcate. That means to, to, to exhort, to encourage, to generate, to, to say we need the fear of the Lord. And as we go through the Scriptures, what do we find? We find that the fear of the Lord is a very, very prominent theme. Go through the Psalms. Go through the Proverbs. Go through the prophets. And go through the New Testament as well. And you will find there's plenty of the fear of the Lord from Genesis to Revelation. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Psalm 19. You who fear the Lord, praise him. Psalm 22. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Psalm, anyone know? Psalm 34. Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You might say to me this morning, but what is the fear of the Lord? Should we walk into a building like this and all just fall down flat on our knees and our faces and burst out in terror? Is that what it means? What is the fear of the Lord? It's a right sense that our God is very great. It's a right sense that our God is majestic and glorious and holy and powerful and wise and good and loving and everything else. God is glory. God is very goodness. In him is all holiness. In him is everything good we could ever seek. As if you're dropped in some country and you, you're blindfolded and you walk out of an aeroplane and you walk out and then you see that you've been landed in front of a, a mighty waterfall or a, a Grand Canyon or, a, or Mount Everest or, or some great site and you, you can't take anything else in. You're overwhelmed by what you see. It's just overpowering you, overwhelming you. It, it takes up all your senses and all of your consciousness. You can't get away from this sight that's in front of your eyes. And that is how we are all, all, to view our God. Oh, my God, you are very great. So great. In the beginning, long before I was born, Long before I was a twinkle in my father's eye, long before our queen was even born, long, long before this nation 
this island on which we live had ever seen the light of the gospel long before Julius Caesar and Alexander and the pharaohs, long before Moses and Abraham and Noah, and going back, back, back into the mists of time, long before the wheel was invented, whenever that might have been, long before, long before anything else we can ever think of, God was, and evermore shall be. And we need to know the greatness of our God. But I'm not quite finished. There's something else I have to say in conclusion. Everything that I've said so far this morning would be perfectly acceptable to a wide range of people who are not Christians. Jews would agree with me. Muslims would agree with me. Everything I've said would be acceptable to to them. Unitarians who believe that only God the Father is God. Jehovah's Witnesses who come round our doors and we long for them to know the truth. Mormons, Christadelphians, plenty of others. They would nod in agreement at what I've said this morning and say, oh yes, we call him Jehovah, we call him Allah, we call him Lord, we call him God. You're so right. He's very great. Yes, he's eternal. Yes, he's above all things. Well said. We are one with you on that, they would all say. But we need to make another point, don't we, this morning? In the beginning... In the beginning. And you might know where I'm going now. There's another book of the Bible that begins, isn't there? In the beginning. I'm talking about the Gospel of John, aren't I? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Oh, there it is. And you say, I don't understand that. How can the word be both with God and also God at the same time? Two doesn't equal one. Three doesn't equal one. I know it doesn't. But God is greater than our own human mathematics and our own human constructions. And this is the point. When the Apostle John was moved by the very Spirit of God to begin to write the gospel that we have in our Bibles... He was moved by the Spirit to begin in exactly the same way as the Spirit moved Moses to begin to write Genesis. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. John 1 verse 1. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. What a tremendous statement about our Savior. We sometimes sing that hymn, don't we? A man there is a real man. And in that hymn we have these wonderful words. This wondrous man of whom we tell is true almighty God. 
He is the image of the invisible God. He is the radiance of God's glory, say the author to the Hebrews, and the exact representation of his being. Thomas the Apostle, coming to see Jesus on the day of his resurrection, doesn't need to put his fingers into the prints of the nails in his hand or his side. He says, no, my Lord, my God, I worship you. The same Apostle John says of Jesus at the end of his first letter, this is the true God and eternal life. And then he goes on to say at the end, intriguingly, the last verse of 1 John, little children, keep yourselves from idols. In other words, dear friends, if your God is anything, anyone other than this infinite almighty God, who is made known fully and completely in the face of Jesus Christ. If he is any God other than the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, eternal and infinite, then he is not the God of the Bible. And he is a mere idol who can never save you. But if your God, the eternal, the almighty, the infinite God, is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Christ is that very God, then you are worshipping the true God. And I close by saying this. In Jesus Christ, in that wonderful human face, in that amazing human life, as we read the Gospels, as we read the letters of the New Testament, as we see Jesus, as we see this wonderful man, oh, the best of men, the fairest of 10,000, the man of love, the man of humility, the man of grace, the man of tenderness, the man of patience, the man who was transfigured on that mountain whose face shone like the sun and whose clothes shone like the light. When we see him, we see our God and we have fellowship with our God. It is the only way we can come to him. But understand this, this Jesus, eternal with the Father as the Son of God, above all, before all, our great God and Savior, him we worship. And we are looking to build on that foundation, the foundation which says that in the beginning this God was and evermore shall be. Come back, if you can, week after week, and learn more as we look together at how great our God is and how we can all build on those secure foundations which begin right back in the beginning with our God. Let's pray together. Our gracious, great and mighty God in heaven, who is like you and who will not fear you? For you are enthroned and you are majestic and you are high above all. The angels veil their faces 
for the brilliance of your glory. Moses had to hide his face in a cleft of the rock when that glory went by. And yet now we see in a most wonderful way that in the face of your only begotten Son, Jesus, shines all the radiance of divinity that God is seen in him. Oh, let us be, all of us, like the man who found that patch of land where the treasure was hid and he sold all to buy that land. And like the man who was on the search for the most precious pearls he could find and he found the pearl of greatest price and his search was over, he'd found what he wanted. May we have that same sense as we see our God that in him we have everything. And we know him because we come to him through the son of his love, the God-man, Jesus Christ, given for us. And we worship and pray in his name. Amen.